0: Hello and welcome to Social Justice Matters, a podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Colette Bennett and I'm an Economic and Social Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As many of our regular listeners will know, we have three different types of podcasts. We have our SJI Seminar Series, which is an opportunity to take a listen back to some of the best presentations from our seminars and our conferences. So you get to listen to the likes of Professor Tony Fahi, who talks about generation rent. You get to listen to Anne Pettifor on the Green New Deal, and you get to listen to national and international experts on a range of policy areas. We also have our 10 minute lesson series, and this is a very brief overview of policy areas touching on the topics that we think people really need to know about. And then we have our interview series, and that's an opportunity to get in touch with people who are policy experts and to have the chats about relevant policy areas. Today's episode, I'm joined by Simon Murta of Oxfam. Now Simon is Senior Policy and Research Coordinator for Oxfam Ireland and he talks to me about their latest report Inequality Kills and about the recommendations particularly around tax but around broader societal issues as well coming from that report. I hope you enjoy it. So Simon thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Uh, thank you so much for, for being here. How are you doing?
1: Good thanks. You're welcome. it kind of a bit of a a roller coaster since the press release, which was on Monday the seventeenth of January. So uh, yeah, so we've had a lot of uptake on on this report.
0: I mean, it's it's certainly quite a, a striking title, you know, inequality kills. And I mean, for people like us who work in this space, we, we know this, um but certainly it's it's an eye opener for for many. So. If you could just tell us a little bit, I suppose, in terms of the the context of the report, you know, what it's about, the the purpose of it, um, why you're doing it and and who's involved in developing it.
1: Yeah, I mean, on the kills thing, Oxfam prides itself on its killer stats. So that's one of the the terms I have to get used to when I I joined Oxfam. And so they they don't apologise for going for these kind of hard-hitting reports and and facts that catch media attention. And... Mm -hmm. The Davos um, the World Economic Forum has become a real uh, set piece for, for Oxfam over the years. And, you know, I think people would probably associate their reports on inequality with Davos. Like that's where, where they're launched each year. Um, and I think it, it's been a very useful um, way in which to uh, drive home that message of increasing inequality to a, to, a, to a popular audience. I mean, every time Davos is on TV, it's like Oxfam is often there with its report. Pointing at the other side of this um, billionaire wealth, which has been, which which is kind of known about and yet not not studied enough, which is one of the big big contentions we have when we look at uh, inequality. Um, so this year, uh, the report came out as usual. It's a bit different. that Davos isn't sitting in person, so there were only virtual events that went on this year. That didn't, didn't really affect our our media coverage or the impact that the report had. Um, the difference with the report this year, um, I think even the one during the pandemic last year saw an initial surge in billionaire wealth based on the asset wealth of billionaires. Um, but th- then when we looked at how it had increased by now, and we could look right over the period of the pandemic, which was, you know, roughly the, the, the statistics we took were from March um 2020 to October 21, so, so the real kind of the, the main period of the pandemic, an exponential surge in billionaire wealth and um, based on the asset wealth of billionaires. Uh, and that was the, the, the headline figure, and um, I think that the, the 10 richest men had doubled their fortunes during the pandemic. And interestingly, then, when we looked at the, the Irish billionaires based this, on this, this, again, was a media hit in Ireland, we found more or less the same thing, so it's nine listed Irish billionaires by Forbes, and they had doubled their uh, net worth and net wealth, fifty-eight uh, percent. So that so that was it was interesting that we when we did that simple uh, comparison of of Irish billionaires with, with world billionaires, we found the same. We found the same thing, and, and undoubtedly that's what gets a lot of media attention. And we're we're then trying to draw attention to the other side of global. Industry. The effects on in, in global poverty and healthcare on women in particular, um, but that's our that's our hook, you know, quite uh, quite obviously, is to, is to look at billionaire wealth to begin with. And but I think and one of the things you might talk about today is the form of that wealth, what it does to economies. You know, when we uh, try to abstract from the, the, the global figures to what's happening in, in, in Ireland. Um, we're, we're trying to work out what's the effect of that surge in asset wealth, for example, on housing, and then your your housing report came out exactly at the same time. So um, we were trying to work out you know, what's the effect of, of an asset price surge then in housing and in the pressure on, on, on the rental sector, for example. Um, so yeah, so, so Oxfam, as you know, is a big international organization. They, they, they get a lot of media attention, but it works in an affiliate structure. So we're the Irish affiliate of, of Oxfam, and then we have to try and um, localize their search uh, when it comes out for, for an Irish context.
0: Okay, and just stick with the billionaires for a second, and you're probably sick of talking about them, but just in terms of the, the doubling of the wealth, is that a product of the sectors that they're in? Is it because they're, they're tech billionaires? Um, or, you know, and, and the fact that everybody's doing things on, on Zoom and Teams and all the rest of it, or is it irrespective of the sector, there has been this kind of uplift in, in wealth?
1: Yeah, I think, well, I think a bit of both, but particularly the latter. I mean, Oxfam's report, his Inequality Kills report, lays the blame for this surge full square on the stimulus uh, interventions by central banks during the pandemic. And in a sense, I think this is probably uh, under-discussed in, in mainstream conversations, um, but there was an incredible change in, in, in the levels of, of central bank stimulus, stimulus or stimuli throughout the pandemic and in the form of it, because it was this you know corporate debt buying, which was the difference. Um, so both the ECB and, and the fed and indeed across central banks across continents um, created this incredible uh, surges in, in, in uh, quantitative easing which is probably the best way to describe it but with this different form of of buying corporate debt so um, you know it, it's really I, I think this subject is interesting you know obviously going back to the last financial crisis uh, what are the what's the kind of Extent of this anti-liquidationist policy. How far are we going to go with it? Um, and if it has the effect of um, just increasing financial asset wealth, in particular, to so incredible levels of inequality, rather than uh, doing the other things you would like to see it doing—spreading the wealth more, uh, presumably keeping interest rates down—you um, know, it does. It, you know, it doesn't seem to have have worked in those extra areas. Um, and it may have created a, a whole lot of um, unforeseen or or, or unfortunate um, outcomes as well, which is where we might get into things like housing and, and the inflationary pressures there.
0: Yeah, I mean, last year's report was quite similar in terms of, again, very, very stark findings around, you know, that increase in, in billionaire wealth. Um, how do the findings this year kind of compared to last year, like obviously the wealth has increased um but was there anything surprising in it were you surprised by by the level of increase um or you know you know as you say it's not generally discussed in terms of, of, of where that's coming from and what's behind it was was that the, the kind of surprising factor
1: yeah I, you know I think it was a I think their the figure was a third of a trillion last year so it's already quite high but we were able to look at it or Oxfam was able to look at it um over that fixed period. And using the Forbes uh, measure, which is, you know, I think Piketty said, you know, it's, a, it's not great, but the best, it's the best we have, or he actually said something more than that, but it, it was the oldest and most systemic um, uh, system that we have of tracking billionaire wealth. But it's it's not, you know, it's not what we would want under a wealth tax where a billionaire wealth is actually registered by the state and, and, and taxed, uh, you know, in, in tandem. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, say, in Oxfam's uh, work with Forbes, they were able to see that it's the biggest surge of billionaire wealth on record. And, um, you know, it really is exponential in that sense. So um, what do they say? So they've, in, in Euro terms, uh, they've, they've increased from, is it uh, at 1 billion a day? Um, so certainly the, the facts are there. I'm trying to read them here. But um, what we what we were able to see begin last last year um, has turned into a historic surge in billionaire wealth. And that is confined to looking at billionaires' asset values, really. and um, we then try when we were trying to work out the effects of our wealth tax, we used a, another um, wealth expert advisory firm that that then extrapolates to millionaire wealth. But um, yeah, so 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 the original source is is the Forbes billionaire list and the uh, effects of the economic policies during the, the pandemic have created a surge, which is, which is, which is off the charts, which is much in, much greater than anything seen in, in, uh, in, in recent records.
0: And just, I suppose, it's not a, a question I perked you for or, or kind of shot to you before we did this, but something that strikes me when we're talking about this increase in, in wealth and this exponential increase in billionaire wealth in particular, on the other side of it when we're talking about inequality are the poor getting poorer is there any you know discussion around that i mean obviously the impact of of lack of availability of vaccines and you know we're seeing kind of climate dimensions around migration and things um obviously that's having an impact but is there is there data around that as well in terms of the other side of it
1: yeah yeah you're absolutely right i mean the the, there's a kind of polarity to the report where we start with the billionaire surge. Uh, and I'm just looking at the, the kind of key stat there. So, so billionaire wealth has grown more since the pandemic began than, than in the last 14 years. And we were already in a system which, which had this spiraling inequality. So, so that's the kind of stark level of finance just on, on billionaire wealth. But yeah, I mean, there are four areas that, the, that Oxfam talks about when it looks at inequality uh, at a global level in, in, in the sense of poverty or, or, uh, or deprivation you could say um, and it begins with the, with just the most the poorest and the most marginalized groups who've been forced below the international poverty line, which I know is a, is a crude measure but is the one that they worked on uh, with the World Bank. Um, so again, I think 163 million extra people uh, had been forced into poverty. Um, again, over that just that recent period, um, and the other kind of distressing thing about that is that we won't see a return to the poverty gains we had until twenty thirty, um, unless we take more radical measures to, to address inequality. So that was what That was one of the key findings. Um, the methodology also looked a lot at healthcare, and it, it, it worked with a, a Lancet study in particular, um, where it looked at the effects of. Uh, restricted access to healthcare across the world. And that was, that's, that's one of the strongest parts of inequality that's studied in the report. And um, interestingly, I was, I was looking at it last night and it's, it's, it's quite clear that when you break that down into the, 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 the huge parts of, 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 of healthcare, which goes missing in, in developing countries in particular, it's before you get to hospital you Know it's it's it shows the importance of primary care as, as a form of, of universal health care that, that you wanted to try and implement. And um, so it's preventable diseases that, that should have been stopped. And um, so it's 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 kind of lack of access at that point. Um gender, then you know, the, the report looks very much at the disproportionate effects of inequality on women, you know, we bear the brunch or a crisis like this, and that's quite clear in the levels of of earnings that that have been foregone I and mean, the increased unemployment and the kind of push on women back into precarious work, unpaid work, traditional areas. So, you know, uh, that kind of structural inequality comes out strongly in the report. Um, and then climate, you know, Oxfam's done a huge amount of work on, on climate and the unequal effects and causes of climate change. And, um, you know, carbon inequality is a big report that, that Oxfam and a big concept in Oxfam as established recently. Um, So that's strongly in the report as well. So they're they're the four areas, uh, healthcare, uh, outright poverty, gender and climate. Um, But they could have looked at others, you know, and in the sense that that, that they they say in the report that these are conservative estimates. And I would say, despite the kind of Oxfam's um, headline-grabbing media approach, their their estimates tend to uh, tend to go for the, the, the lower end the more conservative and uh, the things you know they, they're, they're quite clear about that in the report so my view is that they could have looked i mean particularly if you if you look at, at the uh, developed economy uh, such as Ireland, you could you could have looked at other areas of inequality like housing as I mentioned and indeed from my knowledge of Africa African cities housing is also rent is also a big cause of, of poverty in, in in African cities so it's not as though that, that couldn't have been known as well but I suppose they picked on those four themes, which are strong, themes, Roxanne.
0: Yeah, I find that really interesting because particularly, I suppose, you're talking globally in terms of the inequality report. But everything that you've mentioned is an issue here, is an issue for Ireland. You know, we have one of the lowest rates of, of primary care in Europe. We have a particular issue in terms of access to to healthcare for people who are li- either in marginalised communities or at the lower end of the, the income distribution. We have you know a poverty rate of thirteen point two percent. It's it's you know over six hundred thousand people, and um, you know and obviously that the impact of of climate change is most. I harshly felt, I suppose, by people who can least afford to absorb it. So again, we talk about, you know, making that just transition around fossil fuels and bringing in carbon taxes and, you know, Social Justice Ireland have been very, very vocal on, on our support for carbon taxes, but only in the context that that money and more is being used to retrofit older homes where, you know, you're more likely to see lower income households um and you know to to kind of bring up that that general kind of energy rating um so even in a very developed very wealthy country like ireland all of those issues are very very present and we haven't even touched on housing and housing poverty what are the recommendations coming from the report on that kind of international state
1: yeah, there's a few because I know we're, we're going to talk about wealth taxes, and then um, and we obviously put that was the second part of our kind of uh, public appeal or, or public message that we we pointed out that the, the global surge in, in in high net worth wealth, but then we we called for a, a form of a wealth tax or at least a discussion of a wealth tax in Ireland. So that that had a lot of impacts um, in debate in Ireland, but. Um, In the report itself, there's also uh, a number of redistributive um, recommendations in the solutions section at the end, but also the concept, which I'm sure you know of pre-distribution. So the idea that, you know, you make the rules of economy fairer to start with, to stop stop, um, inequality spiraling or exacerbating the extent that it has been. Um, so they've got quite a, a few ideas about, about this pre-distribution. Um, and again, like we've been thinking about it in an Irish context, what it might mean here. I mean, it doesn't there isn't a, a call for a universal um, basic income in the report, but that is a form of, a possibly a form of pre-distribution of, that I think would be interesting. Um, but there are things like um, a call for a universal living wage. Um, as one form of free, free distribution in the report. So um, we might talk about that as well, because there's some, there's, again, like it's, it's a kind of po- more positive idea, I think, that if you change the uh, regulation or the rules of an economy um, in advance of inequality, you might, along with obviously, along with tax, um, you can create a fairer system to begin with. So that, that's, that's kind of something that I would point to in the solutions of the, of the report.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's very much aligned to our kind of our stance, I suppose, around the social contract and what's required. You know, both what's required from people, but also for people to have that kind of basic, decent standard of living that you know they can can have. You know, participate in society generally. Um, and I think absolutely that kind of pre-distributive concept around well, how do you make systems fairer how do you you talked about kind of women um being adversely impacted again you know we saw the national women's council coming out with a report last year in relation to the burden of care um, and how that disproportionately fell to women um we saw from labor force data from cso how while more men than women were impacted in terms of their employment more women than men were didn't see themselves going back to work because of of the impact of the pandemic on their their household um you know and all of that they're all as you say very structural things that could be addressed before you even get on to talking about tax um but let's talk about tax let's talk about that recommendation in relation to the wealth tax and we talk
1: about women just before we got to wealth tax, tax
0: well by but all means just, we can't just because course,
1: I, did, I didn't cover that very well i mean you know, it, it, it's the, again, it's, it's the saddest part of the report in many ways for me is the gen, gender inequality and how it persists structurally, as you say. Um, and I mentioned the kind of triple crisis for women that, that's flagged in the report. So, you know, unpaid care work, um, po- outright poverty, and then precarious and insecure work. So, so there are the areas. But you also mentioned education. I mean, it's a bit like the way that this, this form of billionaire wealth has exponential effects Uh, poverty has exponential effects as well. And so, you know, we looked at loss of earnings for women um, we looked at ILO figures for, for reduction in employment, which are, which are huge figures, you know, nearly 10% in Latin America and 800 billion, I think of loss of earnings across the globe. But from the malaria fund was the source of this statistic, 20 million girls are at the risk of not returning to school after the pandemic. Um, you know there's certain statistics that really hit you like that which shows you know the, the, the fallout from, from an economic crisis like this um, and I think underlines the, the social justice um, message to, to fight back against this and, and, to, and to not allow it to become entrenched um, and then the other, the other kind of devastating statistics in the report are about gender based violence um, the statistic we give is that of all the pandemic response, from zero point zero zero two percent was devoted to, to to gender-based violence response. But even worse than that, we don't have proper data across the globe. I mean, we have isolated data or isolated studies, but we don't really have a database with which to approach this this problem um, in a public policy way. And, and that, so those two parts just just to talk a little about. Uh, about gender the gender effects of the pandemic and they stand out in the report Uh, can i
0: ask about the the 20 million girls not returning to education that's really really stark Um, is there is there a discussion as to why is it because they are now working or their care provision or they're unwell you know what is behind that not return
1: the reason I've heard is being, being you know called to work, whether that's in domestic and care work, um, or I, I mean, presumably maybe to try and help with, with the family incomes, but um that's that's the cause that I know about is um yeah, just just a call call to help in general in the kind of family economy.
0: Yeah, and I mean I, I take your point on the the domestic abuse side of things and um, the domestic violence, you know, that is incredibly stark and I mean we had that conversation at an Irish level as well in terms of you know the program for government acknowledged that there was a a crisis around domestic abuse Um, but we still are a very long way away from any of our commitments in terms of the Istanbul convention and in terms of making adequate space available. I think in terms of the data what's quite difficult and safe ireland i think would acknowledge this as well is that because it's it's such a hidden um and you know epidemic really you know people it it still has that stigma attached um whether yes. you know you you don't disclose it for fear you don't disclose it because you know where do you go who's going to listen to you and what are you going to do about it um, because you know the risk with disclosure is you go back into that same situation and now potentially have exposed it. Um, and that creates a less safe environment, potentially. Um, yeah, yeah, Without I mean, the adequate supports to back it up, it's very difficult to be able to do that. We see it in quite a lot of sexual-based violence as well, obviously. Um, yeah. But it's, it's yeah. again going back to that systemic response.
1: It is, but I don't think, I mean, I know about the difficulty and, and the, the how um, sensitive an area it is. That's a funny word to use, but that that when you go to try and find out about levels of, of domestic violence um, in communities sometimes, you know, it can be really kind of hazardous research work to do. Um at the same time, and I actually gave the, the misrepresented the figure in, in the report, it's 0.0002% um, of, of funding. Um you know, I think that, that we can't excuse the the lack the, the failure of public policy across the world in, in this case, and um, just on that basis that it's a difficult area to research. And, and you know, we see like basic resource-based uh, failings in Ireland, you know, with the with the lack of refugees and so on. So um I take your point that I'm aware of of people who tried to do this this work and heard their stories, but um it's still a, a terribly stark finding in terms of what we're actually. Oh, to this issue
0: absolutely i mean i'm not de- i'm not defending the lack of data on it by any means at all um i mean the fact that we know we have to have refuge spaces and we you know that there is a kind of a one for every ten thousand of the population that there should be a refuge space and yet there isn't um and even the fact that you know i'm aware from from speaking to to other organizations that are involved in development work or were involved in development work that when they design things like housing that they're designing, you know, in kind of global South countries, that some of the, the populations, they're designing the housing with two doors specifically to allow women to, to have another route out. Um, so the fact that that is so ingrained in the design of community buildings, the design of spaces, the design of these homes, is that, you know, that's a, it's an acknowledgement of the problem. And yet it isn't a, a systemic response of it actually mm-hmm.
1: yeah. dealing yeah. with it. And we should mention as well, of course, legal protections. I mean, in so many countries around the world, women just don't have legal protections against them, um, against, you know, lots of forms of discrimination. But this one in particular, um, against sexual violence by a partner, I think over a billion women, if you look across the world, don't have a legal protection against that. So we, you know, we've got a, a massive um distance to go in, in this area across the world. And and also like I'm I'm always um, worried by this discrepancy between um, what are issues that are discussed broadly in, in public discourse and then the policy isn't implemented in fact at, at political levels or legal levels. Um you know, so 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 if the if the report kind of does something in highlighting that discrepancy and that's that's a strong point for the report
0: absolutely um can we look at the wealth tax because i think again the recommendations that are made i think it's a very important discussion to have because the recommendations that are made in relation to it would go so far to dealing with that kind of preemptive policy making that that kind of pre-distributive kind of impact that you talk about around well if you're going to make a system change this is how you do it. But obviously, all of that requires investment. So, you know, you've been out and proud talking about this kind of idea of a wealth tax. How do you see that operating? Would you see it being kind of a, a global tax, similar to how the OECD are dealing with the corporation tax system? Or would it be kind of an individual countries doing their own kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be a bit of both. I mean, you've got you, you can't just always say that we need a, a multilateral response to this and kind of hope someone else will do it. I mean, there's been a bit of a track record in this country on, on progressive issues there. So, um, you know, we in a sense, you know, put our heads above the parapet and, and call for a wealth tax in Ireland with, with the report. Um, but I don't think I mean, are, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive to that. So, you know, we're not feeling as though we, we did anything that was that was risky, really. Um, I think the point about wealth taxes, first of all, just to look at a little bit of the history of it. I mean, some European wealth taxes in recent years have been either going kind to of strip back to the point of ineffectiveness or have been, you know, have been kind of ended, you would say. Although not quite. I mean, the French wealth tax is the one that people talk about. But there is that is kind of morphed into the estates tax a uh, land tax. Um, I think there's also a point to be made about a certain renaissance in, in, in wealth taxes and um, I was looking at there's a, there's a website people are interested in and I think it was it was made in conjunction with the UK Commission into wealth taxes um, and it's called wealthandpolicy.com so it's an, it's an easy one to, to find. but they go country by country and look at the different uh, forms of wealth taxes in European countries. And the yields that they have. Um, So, even in a a kind of in a certain partial form in lots of those countries, um, they're bringing in, you know, in the billions of revenue each year. Um, So, you know, there are effective wealth taxes in various forms. um, And you could argue, you know, things like capital acquisitions taxes or land taxes are wealth taxes anyway. But going back to the kind of recent. improved understandings of wealth taxes and um, th- there's a whole kind of reformed area of scholarship on this which makes uh, a modern wealth tax both more technically um, applicable and our understanding is better off. i mean you have to make it as simple as possible you put it above a high threshold to make it fair um, and you don't allow it to be whittled down by the usual reliefs and exemptions based on, on lobbying invested interest groups. I mean, again, going back to the Diane of this stuff, you know, Piketty said no exceptions to his global wealth tax and, and that you've got to be strong on that point. So you, you, you would place it above a high threshold, um, but then you enforce it strongly and with the kind of simple architecture that can, that can work and be understood. You also, I think, should try to make it complementary to existing taxes or even improve existing forms of tax. So. You know, there's a, a consultation going on with our Commission on Tax and Welfare at the moment. So we, we put in a submission purely based on this idea of calling for a national discussion about a wealth tax. Um, but we mentioned in the submission that, you know, the local property tax is a, a, a form of tax we ha- we, which we have, which has been successful in its collection, but could be a lot fairer because it's not obviously based on, on net wealth. And um, so some of the principles of a, of a wealth tax are that they're complementary to existing taxes, but they actually improve um, improve on, uh, you know, empirical evidence of where wealth taxes have fallen short in, in recent recent years. And again, talking about the kind of modern science of it, in Argentina, and this is in the Oxfam report, they brought in a wealth tax very recently. And again, they're just in terms of revenue, they brought in 2.4 billion in a country, you know, an economy which is smaller than ours. So, you know, the, 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 I suppose the foremost expert, experts on this that I know of are both based in Berkeley, and they're both French economists, actually, and probably, you know, closely associated with Piketty, as I said, but that's um, Saez and Zoukman, who you, you may have heard of, um, or read, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, they say quite clearly in their, in their most recent papers that wealth taxes are now effectively a political choice. You know, we have the technical means to do it, you know, because of computerized data, data transfer and data collection that, you know, it's possible, and even on international levels, we could enforce wealth taxes uh, much more effectively. Uh, And then they have the kind of, as I say, you know, lessons that they've learned as scholars from from previous uh, wealth taxes where they've gone wrong, you know, they, they, they address all those at every level, you know, in terms of economic theory, as well as in terms of, you know, just the technical means to collect wealth taxes. Um, so the possibilities are there um, obviously the, the, it's a political question as I said we say in our in our submission that Ireland should, should pursue this as a, a national conversation but of course you know within the European Union as well um, you know you know the, the idea is not to, to ultimately to go it alone but you, you you need a certain kind of dynamic between the two the two positions that you've got to be able to to kind of explore this on a national basis as well um, w- and without being afraid to do that. And as I say, not always a, wait for someone else to do it first. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we have a bit of a history of not wanting to be the early adopters, but I mean, that's where innovation comes from. That's, you know, that's how you lead. Um, yeah. You know, I... I am just very conscious when this comes up. Usually, um, you've got the the detractors, you've got the, we've already got, as you say, the CAT, the capital acquisitions tax, we've got property taxes, and now you want to add a wealth tax. You know, what is that going to do? What's that going to do for homeowners? What's that going to do in terms of driving away foreign investment? Because we've seen, you know, certainly in the last number of weeks, this huge influx of of and possibly actually i say that it's probably not a, a recent influx but this huge influx of data certainly around the level of foreign investment in housing um and how attractive social housing in particular has become as an investment opportunity um and if we're going to go after things like property in a country or where wealth and property are so closely related, is that not going to have a knock-on effect of actually driving away some of this investment, driving away some of these you know, high net worth
1: individuals? Yeah, I mean, the, the property thing I would have thought was problematic because, as I mentioned, the kind of surge in asset prices caused by by central bank intervention during the pandemic seems to me to be one of the causes of, of um, much greater inequality across the world Uh, and that and the particular form of asset uh price inflation or asset value inflation and then what that does and you know what you do with that wealth it it searches for yield and and it it sometimes is recycled into debt you know and and looks for looks for um, areas to 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 gain wealth like um you know, inflated rental markets. And I saw the CSO report yesterday talking about the um, the increase in, in apartments in Dublin. And, you know, again, you would suspect that institutional um, investors have a large role in that. Um, to come back to your point about, say, asset flight, um, I think that the, the point about, about this is that you may, in our press release, we talked about a flat rate above a high threshold. And we took the 5 million mark, which is being used, <coughs> excuse me, by by um, Oxheim internationally as a kind of watermark. And um, then we 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 changed that into Euros. So we got 4.4 million or something. And we, and we looked at it from that basis. But for for, simple, for reasons of simplicity, we just said we take a flat rate of 1.5%, which is a bit higher maybe than, than some of the rates that have been discussed or proposed in, in by economists in our Andreeski. Um, but actually, in our in our submission to the, the commission, we talked about graduated rates. So as you go higher, the, the rates the rates get a bit higher. Um, in terms of causing a, a flight, it, it's it's that there are again you know methods of dealing with this, and you see it in the US like exit taxes, so that if you wanted to kind of move your wealth out of the country or even renounce citizenship because the, our proposal is that it's based on citizenship as indeed the, the billionaires list is still on, not on where you live but on, on citizenship um, you know you would you would either have exit taxes and you'd be still liable for the tax and um, so you, you couldn't just you know it wouldn't make it it would seem to make it harder but you can imagine that would end up in, in huge disputes and so on um, but there is at least a kind of a a technical proposal for how you, how, you do, how you tax wealth and how you try and deal with that, that uh, idea of flight. On the other hand, I think I would come back to the, the point you raised earlier about social contracts. And you know, we've said this in the, in the messaging around the, in this idea of a wealth tax and in the letter to the Irish Times and so on. There's a whole range of uh, benefits to having a wealth tax based on a broad consensus. Um, and, and, and establish consensus. I mean, we say in our commission, this should be a, a cause for a public debate, that it's something that we need to, we have a national, we should have a national conversation about. Um, but, there, you know, again, surveys show that it, psychologically, it creates confidence, it creates a sense of social so, solidarity. You're appealing to um, high net worth individuals to make a contribution to society and indeed to the environment, you know, that's that's. You know, we, we're also conscious of, of the need for um, to, to a transformation in our in our environmental um, structure and, and, and productive structures. Um, that, by contributing to to um, to that just just transition, as it were, um, high net worth individuals could also make that kind of contribution to to, to a greener future. Um, and another point which we've made in, in these. In our statements about it is that it acts as a kind of a, a legal basis for looking at distribution within the within our society as well so as a kind of reporting law we don't actually know how much money um, the richest parts of society have until we have a legal basis for for allowing revenue to investigate that properly um, so you know we we are saying that that people and, and then of course there's all the issues that you would talk about and we, we talk about which is, which is basic social inequity um, and, and the, the really acute parts of that that we see in Ireland uh, housing, as, as, as we, we started to talk about. And um, so by having a graduated wealth tax above a high threshold, there's a, there's a real implication for making a fair society there. And again, some surveys show that your billionaires and your really high net worth uh, individuals would prefer to pay those taxes. And be seen as making a contribution to, to social cohesion, um, rather than than be seen as, as tax exiles essentially. So, uh, so so I think I, I hope I, I kind of covered the three areas there. There's obviously a, a, a revenue implication, and there's another question about what would you spend that on? I mean, what would be the best things to spend it on? The other, the other area, of course, that we're interested in is increasing ODA to the zero point seven goal. Um, but uh, the, the other Societal implications are are just as interesting, I think. It it gives an impression of of a society which which has got an ambition to distribute wealth more fairly and it actually creates a record as a kind of report of no idea. So so the benefits of wealth taxes, I think, are underestimated. Maybe because they've been badly implemented in European countries more recently, but as I say, that's improving um, and, and the kind of science of it is improving a good deal.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I like that whole idea around the kind of social cohesion part of it as well. Um, You know, I think sometimes a lot of the arguments that are made against these type of things don't actually involve the people who would be impacted by them. As you say, the people who actually might say, no, I I want to do this because, um, as you say, it it kind of makes me seem an awful lot better. Um, I'm contributing to something. Um, I think Tom McDonnell last week, the Neary Economist, Tom Macdonald, had on their blog that whole idea of, of the, the social uh, cohesion part of the, the wealth tax. And it's something that they've been advocating for for, for quite some time as well. Um, from your own perspective, how do you see it? You know, and I know you've touched on it a bit there, being implemented in Ireland and, and what kind of yield would you expect?
1: Mm. Yeah, well, again, it's, uh, that's open for discussion on it. You know, the, the rate that we we posited at 1.5% for people over uh, that had a net worth over $5 million uh, would bring in about $4 billion. And then on the billionaires as well, I think, that or billionaires alone, that would bring in uh, $700 million. So both of those are fairly substantial sums that could be used, to, again, to look at acute areas such as homelessness or, or you know, it could be directly um. Use for for areas of concern, um, yeah, and and also you mentioned um, Tom McDonald's uh, piece on, on uh, you know I think the point about this is that we don't want to seem naive in saying there won't be resistance to this. Um, you know, of course, you know we also put in our, our submission there's considerations about the, our investment climate, which is the phrase the government would use. Um, but, you know, in a way, you can be too uh, meek in, your, in, your, in, your, in the way you put this forward. There is a, a real point to be made. And I remember, you know, what we had a discussion around, I think it was the election before last, on the role of multinationals in, in the country. Um, and you, people were making the arguments, well, you know, you need, you need them to pay more taxes um, in order to create a better society in the areas that, that we're, we're clearly lacking in Ireland, in education and in housing. But you know, if you're talking about people who want to invest in a country, um, they want the country to have, presumably, or a lot of them, to have a, a good health and education uh, systems, and also, you know, countries to be environmentally sustainable. You know, that, that's obviously a big theme that, that we're all across uh, categories, you know, motivated by. Um, and you know, we do have a certain, like, again, without sounding naive, we have millionaires on our side, and that's part of the Davos um, advocacy. So there's certain groups, patriotic millionaires are one of the ones in America. And the uh, Abigail Disney, who comes from the Disney family, wrote a preface to the Oxfam, to to this report, Inequality Kills. And it's brilliant. Like it's, it's, you know, a one page and it encapsulates, you know, all the issues we've tried to cover. Um, And, you know, she simply says, you know, everybody has sacrificed during the pandemic and it's time for for millionaires to do the same and um, so you know that that got you know it got headlines across the world as well last week that you know tax us now you know millionaires and billionaires are saying um but yeah i mean look of course it, like there's that analysis to be made about our investment climate uh, you know a country which is so reliant on on, on foreign investment um, on the Other hand, there's also the arguments made that we have to broaden the tax the tax base beyond our massive reliance on that sector as well. So um so there's a national discussion to be had, and, and I'm glad we're not alone in proposing this and seeing the amount know, of people who've you've rolled in to kind of support us over the last week or two.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the, the work of the commission on on taxation and welfare, um they're they're currently meeting around this and We've made our submissions, and you've made your own, and there have been plenty of others that are out there. Um, And in fact, there was an Oireachtas Committee on Welfare during the week. Um, But I mean, how fast, I suppose, do you think this commission can actually make a change, or do you think the commission can make a change at all?
1: Yeah, I mean, my hope for it again is that, it, that it, I think they're going to have some public meetings, if I'm not mistaken. So hopefully that that will be well covered. And, you know, um, a national discussion, which and even the title of taxation and welfare is very important. You know, sometimes I think that, that um, discussions around tax have a, a, obviously a limited appeal. It seems a very uh, dry technical subject. And um, so... You know, from what I know about the the commission, they're open to broaden the, the appeal of, of the consultation and and create that kind of national discussion. Um, you know, I, I've, I've I've looked at the membership. I'd expect that they would want to do that. At least most of them would want to do that. And and you know, it's not obviously it's not going confined to discussion of a wealth tax. Um. But the, yeah, that sense of uh, that of traditional conversation around social contracts is one that, it, you know, it's been growing a bit, I think in recent years, but it's not one which we have or have had broadly in Ireland, I would say. Aspects of it may have come out um, in, during the, the uh, citizens assembly and so on, but not on that kind of economic basis of, 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 what, of what, what are we trying to kind of agree on as, as a society and therefore how we distribute wealth. Um, and you know this kind of constant refrain that we have a progressive income tax rate which the government relies on so or you know certain parts of the government rely on so heavily and um, again you know it needs to be challenged by with a broader discussion of, of the forms of revenue that we have and um, right across across society you know in the forms of tax and um, so i don't know i mean to answer your question i I hope, I wish the commission well, I hope it, it does kind of turn into a national debate. And hopefully it will kind of progress through this year. So moving into late spring, summer, that, that, that those debates will come forward. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Is, is it too boring a subject? You know, I hope not.
0: No, and I think I, I fully agree with you in terms of that linkage between taxation and welfare. I think it's a really important one. Um, I I suppose I'm always a little bit sceptical. Um, my fear around that link is that people will concentrate on the, the social transfer element. So, you know, we have a, a a good rate of social transfer. Without it, we'd have a poverty ratio of almost two in five. Um, I think that's so something around 39% or seven percent And with it, obviously, we've got a 13.2%, so it, do, it does carry its weight. Um, but I think you know, that whole idea that of broadening the tax base is really, really important. We've seen what happened um, when we relied too much on, on one particular tax or one particular source of taxation. Uh, we had a crash because of it. We had a decade of austerity because of it. You know, we really can't go blindly into that again. And I, I'm quite interested in what you were talking about, about the, the, the uplift in billionaire wealth um, hasn't been seen in 14 years. 14 years ago was um was what we're talking about in terms of kind of crash times and you know that that space again um i think in terms of the income tax discussion is is really important i thought what was quite interesting around some of the data that was published by the department of finance around this time last year was that you know we'd we'd only seen a reduction by about one percent up to january of 2021 Notwithstanding the fact that there were, you know, 650,000 people, you know, either on reduced hours or or job with, with job losses, we saw 6.6 million hours lost in 2020. Um, and yet our, our income taxation didn't really move. That's a product of, of the people who had lost their jobs, the people who are, are most impacted by it were the ones that were on lower incomes and either only marginally in the tax brackets uh, or not hitting them at all. And again, that comes back to the points you were making around precarious work um, and the the kind of gave economy stuff and and who's impacted by that. So I think, you know, my sense, again, looking at the membership of the commission is that a lot of that will get an airing. Um, I think a lot of the people that are on it have written around these themes or are interested around these themes um and there's enough there that can generate a debate without it being very dry i mean it's not just nerds like you and me um that are interested in this space i think it's it's for everybody and i use and i've probably used this on about a million podcasts at this point but it's my analogy um around policy discussion is you you can't buy a loaf of bread without being impacted by policy so this discussion has to involve everybody you know you go down to the shop how it's made, how it's packaged, what it costs, what the VAT rate on it is, all of those things are impacted by policy. They are all government decisions, uh, whether nationally or kind of at a European level, we're all impacted by it. So this kind of a discussion around taxation, how we pay for things and what we choose to pay for, is really really important, um, and I would hope that that the working commission gets a lot of coverage and a lot of sparks, a lot of debate certainly.
1: Yeah, and also like just thinking back to to our crash, you know, the the, the banking crisis that we had, there was a huge interest among the public. I mean, people were saying Irish people become experts on on debt and, and so on around that time. And again, there's sometimes there's just kind of dumbing down to to, to a general audience, like. I find that talking about economic issues is, is, is always interesting to, to a wider audience, and they kind of ask that question, well why, why, why don't we have more discussion on these issues that really matter um, so so yeah hopefully that therefore that this kind of commission could could kind of uh, appeal to that that sense of, of democratizing the interest in economic policy um, and you know just getting back to our, our current discussion, I mean I think as well. Things have changed just in the in the sheer levels of of inequality, which which make it important to do something about this um, vast accumulation of wealth in the highest, not even centiles, you know, in the in the in the the percentages within the one percent. So we need a national discussion clearly in Ireland as much as anywhere else. What what should we do? First of all, what should we do about this wealth and the spiraling inequality as a society, you know? Um, Are we going to do anything? Um, Is it too dangerous to touch it? Or do do we need to kind of look much more closely at it? Um, Mainly because so much wealth is accumulated there. It would be impossible not to have this discussion and try to see what to do with that wealth. And then the the second part of of that is is what are, as as you touched on there, the kind of unpredictable effects of wealth being accumulated in that form and at that level. what destabilizing effects will it have? Um, you know, when the, in the forms in which this asset wealth is then invested, um, as we've seen before in in areas which are speculative, um, uh, and which are kind of, I'd kind of, say, reaching for yield to use that phrase, and, and then may have have lots of effects in you know the housing market is the one that that I've suggested we could look at in Ireland. Um, so yeah, it seems to me when you put those things together, and, and, and we start talking about the Oxfam report, you know, we can't ignore that. Like obviously, this is the theme of our of our generation: this this spiraling inequality back to levels um, in the nineteenth century and, and before. We had um, social systems and social contracts to speak of. So um, yeah, so a long way of answering your question. And I hope there's a there's a broad national debate beyond wealth taxes, but in a general sense, about society and, and how we um, earn uh, earn and then distribute income.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Simon. It's been an absolutely fascinating conversation, and I hope our listeners enjoy it as much as I have. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks a million. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The website that Simon referred to again was wealthandpolicy.com, and it it's a really good database full of different types of wealth tax Um, policy. So it's well worth checking out for those of you who may be interested. Uh, For our own proposals in this area, do check out our website, socialjustice.ie. And as per usual, if you have any comments, any queries or any suggestions for future episodes, please do get in touch at secretary at socialjustice.ie. And until next time, stay safe.